0: Right, welcome back guys. Thanks for joining us on Geeks and Inherited to the Earth. Our guest for this episode was not only the voice of Beast and the beloved X-Men animated series from the 90s, but he has a staggering body of work, including everything from voice acting to animated shows to video games, performing in all kinds of movies and TV shows from horror and sci-fi to kid shows. But is he actually a mutant? That's one of my questions. Uh, guys, we are proud to present George Buza.
1: Well, hello there. Hey, George, this is
2: CK. I'm uh, the other host here on Geeks Inherited the Earth, and uh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, you're one of the main reasons I got into comics as a kid. just want to let you know firsthand. Uh, fanboying out a little bit. Um, also, uh, you're the reason I was able to watch X-Men, the animated series, because my dad loved Beast and uh, grew up with Beast, and uh, that's how I got into comics.
1: Well, that's pretty neat.
2: <laughs> I really
1: hadn't given X-Men a, a thought for probably 25 years, Mm -hmm. until uh, Eric Lewald called and said he was writing a book about the making of X-Men, and we all started getting together again and doing Comic-Cons. So this is all coming back in waves now.
3: Wow, that's
1: cool. And it's really amazing to see how many people truly loved that series and how much it really meant to them.
0: It really was a massive franchise. I mean, in the 90s, it was X-Men and Spider-Man from Marvel. I mean, that that was it. And you were in 71 episodes of this show. That is massive.
1: Yeah, I spent a good part of the first season in jail. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, no. You're not glossing over that. (laughs) What happened? No, they put Beast in jail in the first season. Oh, well, that's true. (laughs) I thought
2: you meant you. I was like, oh,
1: man. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was actually a four-year-old kid during most of the uh, taping of that show. (laughs)
2: On a series,
1: uh, Maniac Mansion.
2: Oh, that's right.
1: I was a mutated four-year-old kid who got stuck in his chamber with his uncle. And uh, I got zapped into a giant mutated kid, and he got zapped into a fly. (laughs) 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 For the rest of the three years we did that series, he did all of his uh, acting on green screen, dressed up in a fly suit. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I was dressed up as a four-year-old kid. And I, the studios where we shot uh, Maniac Mansion and the studio where we uh, taped uh, X-Men were not far apart in Toronto. And I used to take breaks from the shooting and hop on my motorcycle dressed up in a, like a four-year-old kid and then zip over to the studio and lay down some tracks for X-Men and then go back and finish shooting on uh, Manihek Mansion
0: <laughs> <laughs> convenient that's yeah, yeah, was.
3: the whole beast voice for me like so
0: <laughs> <laughs> the voice is so
3: iconic I gotta say that like the I, the, the random poetry stuff is, is what my parents let me to be able to watch it because my mom's an English professor and she could never get me to get into any of that stuff and I think it was like an Emerson quote or something that you did in one of the episodes oh, there was the everything
1: they, they hit <laughs> poets from everywhere I was like, there was even a made up one. A made up one? Yes. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Was it a made up name or was it just a poem, real quick? No, it's a
1: totally made up line and a totally made up poet. <laughs> oh,
2: that's fantastic. And I guarantee they used, to,
1: they used to hunt through obscure poetry till they'd find appropriate lines during battle sequences where Beast would all of a sudden comment on whatever was happening with some sort of. Uh, poetry, and then jump into the fray. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into voiceover work? Well, I was always uh, an actor ever since high school. I got talked into doing a play by uh, my girlfriend when I was a senior in high school in Cleveland. And uh, as soon as I hit the stage, I knew this was it. This was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
3: Wow, that's cool. So I
1: I was uh, a stage actor at the time. And uh, a friend who I was working with on a play was already doing voiceovers. And he said, uh, come and meet this agent and uh, see if you can get in doing voice because it's really uh, a great way to make a living. So uh, I went and met this, uh, actually it was an ad- not an agent, it was an advertising person who had uh, hiring uh, powers And uh, she hired me to do my very 1st voiceover, which I think was a commercial of some sorts. And then uh, when I got into an agency, uh, they did a lot of voice, and they just started putting me up for all kinds of uh, animation and commercials, and it turned into a huge thing. That's pretty cool. Uh,
3: So you've you've also voiced Beast in some of the video games, right? Yep, we did a few of the video games. Did they seek you out for that, or did they know they're going to go find you? Well, they did it right in the
1: same studio that uh, we did. uh, We did it piggyback to uh, the series.
0: Looks like you also uh, maybe did a little work for Colossus, Omega Red, and Juggernaut in those video games, too, if my sources are correct.
1: Yeah, I did a video game. I can't remember the name of that one, but I just uh, did another one for Ubisoft. Oh, cool. Which came out in October called uh, Starlink Battle for Atlas. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty big, actually.
1: Yeah, that's... Yeah, I played Carl Zeon. He looks like a lizard, but he's kind of like Beast. Hmm. He's a a very intellectual lizard, but he can also uh, hold his own in combat. (laughs) <laughs> see I
2: always liked that I always liked those characters Beast always reminded me of the Spock of the X-Men oh, and I yes. really latched onto that my dad pushed that on me too like he was always out. he liked Spock he liked Beast and um, so characters like that stuck out and uh, that was another thing um, hey dad I'm talking to uh, Mr. Booza here <laughs> 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 and uh, he says hi
4: <laughs>
1: and hi right back thanks for being a
3: fan <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's so hard to, to take like to get my line seriously right now because while you're talking uh, uh, Michael on the show here is playing with a beast figure
0: <laughs> the entire time you he t- broke it out of the
3: box did he I did
0: yep you gotta let him free
3: <laughs> yeah and CK has a beast bobblehead that he's tapping the entire time you're talking like this is our point of reference during the interview we're just looking at this like we're looking at you <laughs> <laughs>
1: one of the later comic cons uh, back in uh, the, uh, the spring I found a uh, large beast figurine in its original box and I bought it for my six year old grandson so I bring it home and I give it to him and the first thing he does is he rips the box apart and oh, takes no. the beast out and he starts <laughs> flinging it around and playing with it <laughs> and his mother is going nuts
4: <laughs> no no <laughs>
1: leave it in the box
4: <laughs>
3: so what do you think of the conventions do you have any like do you have any, any crazy convention stories
1: well it- no actually i have nothing but warm uh, memories of all these conventions because i just started doing them this year i've done only about three or four but the uh the outpouring of warmth from the uh, the fans they all just are, are so loving and uh, so appreciative which is something that we weren't aware of at the time that we were making the series. I mean, we were up here in Canada and pretty far removed from uh, the success that it was having all over the world and in the States. And the uh, producers will never tell you, uh, <laughs> you know, that you, so you, you, you,
3: this is huge. <laughs> so you found out about all of this after the fact.
1: <laughs> this is all something I found out much later. That wow. the, I mean, I, I knew that we were successful because we went five seasons. So I knew that we were doing well, but uh, the extent to which we had an impact on the audiences was uh, never anything we knew. Not until I started doing the conventions and the people who were kids then brought their kids to the show Oh, nice. and said, these are the guys that I listened to when I was your age and uh, you guys pulled me through some tough times in school and kept me going every day. This is what I look forward to when I came home. Saturday mornings, turning on your show is my escape, and it's really heartwarming. I mean, a lot of people just line up just so they can say hello, and it's really uh, a great feeling.
3: That's awesome,
1: especially I, in I, our I, old yeah. age now. Yeah, oh, right,
3: right. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. You know, was—I think like a lot of uh, people in my age that grew up. You know, geeky and nerdy. You know, was not a cool thing at the time. And I remember that I would relate to other people in my class in school. Because the X-Men were outcasts, you know, and they had a, like a band of outcasts. And you'd you'd be, a, you know, somebody would see an X-Men comic book that you're hiding in another magazine when you're having lunch. And somebody would walk by and be like, oh, I have that issue. And like the, the X-Men cartoons really what got me talking to other people about comics for the first time. And it was always like other people like me that are like outsiders. Some of these people I'm still friends with, you know, 20 plus years later. So, yeah, it's got, uh, I think I, had that effect because I don't think a lot of people realize that the X-Men were kind of outcasts yet like a
1: lot of new fans got
3: turned into that
1: this is why uh, all the kids who identified with us are flocking to our tables now just to tell us about how much impact we had on their lives this was all about what they were experiencing Make no
0: mistake, uh, for generations now, anybody that reads an X-Men comic, when uh, when the Beast dialogue comes up, your voice is 100% in their head across many generations.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still read. Yeah, well, it's, in your, it's in his voice. When I went and
1: auditioned for the uh, first X-Men movie, uh, <sighs> Brian Singer told me that if it had not been for our comic book series, the cartoon series, that movie would not be made. Whoa. Oh, wow. I believe, I believe that. Yeah, I do. Yeah.
2: Because it was so impactful. And
1: and even Cal Dodd, who plays Wolverine, (laughs) said that he met Hugh Jackman, and they had to listen to our show. Mm. All the actors that did the uh, live action had to listen and watch the cartoon series. And Hugh Jackman told Cal, he says, you know, I'm really sick and tired of listening to your voice. (laughs) (laughs) But their uh, their model was the cartoon series. That is so amazing. cool. And they even threw me a bone. They made me the truck driver that delivered Rogue to the uh, fight. I was
2: about to bring that up. Yep. <laughs> Dude, that was you. <laughs> I, I remember when, we, when I first watched it, uh, my uncle told me, he was like, hey, you know the guy that does the voice for Beast? He's the truck driver right here. Because I haven't seen that before.
3: All the research I've been doing the last couple days, and I just found that out now somehow, I just completely missed that. That is cool. Yeah, cool Uh, cameo.
1: But you know what's even cooler? When I first came up to Canada in 1974, I lived at an address of this old dilapidated house. The address was 49 Ontario Street. And eventually the house got torn down in this huge voice studio got built there. Hey. And the address of that studio is 49 Ontario Street. My old house, and that's where we oh, taped
0: what? every episode that's, that's, of X-Men. That's amazing.
1: That that's the
3: definition that's of meant to be.
0: Wow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez. You know, uh, speaking of crossing over generations, I don't want to focus on any uh, anything particularly uh, age related for anyone. I know I'm getting up there myself, but if my math serves correctly, you would have been 11. In 1960, and that is amazing. That's when all these characters were brand new. I mean, that's what's going on in your childhood. Do you have any memories from uh, from going up back then? Some nerd stuff that you were into. What was that like back well, then?
1: Well, for the yeah, I, I had all the original X Men comic books. To
0: what? Start. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I don't want to go there because they got thrown out.
0: Oh, oh no. no! Yeah, along with all of, of my 60s. baseball
1: cards.
3: <laughs> That, that could have been a house right there. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I don't even want to go there. Yeah, no. uh, it's, 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 okay. it's a sad
1: thing. But this is what got me into it. I used to read uh, all these comic books, and my mother and my father were saying, ah, you're wasting your money on this stuff. This is should be reading the classics. So every now and then I'd, I'd buy a classics illustrated to show them that, uh, hey, see, I'm reading
4: Eisenhower.
1: <laughs> X-Men comic book stuffed inside of it. But they all got thrown out. I remember going home after I'd left home for a number of years already, and my parents said, you know, you don't live here anymore. You should come and get your stuff and get it out of our house. <laughs> so I so, said, oh, yeah, I got all these neat things. They're probably worth a lot of money now. So I went looking for them, and all the stuff that was left was crap. <laughs> oh, no. Where's the comic books? Where's the baseball cards? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh,
2: it happens to the best
3: of us. I went. Oh, to, yeah. It was, the other, it was the exact opposite for me. My mom was an English professor, and she got bored with the classics and then started stealing my comic books to read them. Mm-hmm. And every time I would try to throw them out, she would put them in a box going, they're going to be worth something. And all the ones that we kept were all the ones that you can find in a
1: commons box for 10 cents now.
4: <laughs> <Still> <laughs> yeah.
1: But anyway, growing up in the 50s, uh, in the 60s, I mean, it sure was different. Like, TV was vastly different. I remember watching the original Superman series. Cool. Oh, that's cool. And uh, that was what I used to come home to every day. Back from school, turn on the TV, and there was Superman. Done on his blue screen. and. <laughs>
2: That was The uh, the Adventures of Superman, right? With George Reeves. And yeah, yeah, that adventures. was the original one. Yeah, I used to watch that show every night before I went to bed. That was uh, a early childhood when um, TV Land came back on. I loved that. I mean, anything superhero, though. I mean, I can't imagine growing up and having that, having live-action Superman in the
4: late 50s. Oh, yeah, 60s. I used
1: to tie the old blanket on my shoulders and pretend I was Superman. Awesome. and Climb up on the roof. I never yeah. jumped off, oh, but I kind of <laughs> knew that gravity did have a pull. Yeah. But it was neat to pretend. And
2: <laughs> I, I, another superhero during that time, people don't really consider him a superhero, but I bet you were big into the Bond.
1: James Bond? Yeah. Well, quite frankly, uh, yeah, I read every one of the novels. Oh, oh, cool. I used yeah. to stick them inside my uh, textbooks and read them in class.
4: Ah, wow. That's amazing. By that time, I
1: was I read all the James Bond books when I was in uh, in high school, in junior high.
4: Oh, what, and I take
1: the... To- paperback with me and I'd stick it inside the textbook and be reading it in class and occasionally they'd be confiscated.
4: <laughs>
1: but paperbacks were cheap enough you could always go out and buy another one. <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. Uh, I still your, have them. Those I still have. You still oh, cool.
2: have those? Oh, those are great.
1: The those,
3: original Bond paperbacks. Those, those have still got to be worth a pretty penny too, though, so that's good.
1: Well, I don't know. You'd be surprised that uh, it has to be pretty uh, good condition and uh, they were all well read these weren't like preserved there wasn't no uh, oh this will be worth something someday it was read it quickly as you can before you get caught
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> my dad took me to see the movies
2: oh yeah who was your favorite bond like uh, all time
1: well Sean Connery is yeah the that's, right. bond. What's up?
2: that's
1: correct agreed that is the, that is the correct answer I mean answer. I had to suffer through every other bond after that and uh, I mean, I, I, I would not even expect to see him now. I mean, it was, you know, everybody's old. <laughs> there was a time when, you know, he got to the point where you admit you can't do it anymore and they got to get a younger guy.
3: I don't know. I think it'd be funny to see Sean Connery, like right now, do a new Bond movie. <laughs> That
1: would be. That, that would, would save. The no, it would movie. be pitiful. <laughs> <laughs> it would. It save really it would be. Comedy. And nothing against Sean Connery because I think he's fabulous. <laughs> but there's something about an old guy trying to pretend that he can still do stunts and beat people up. It reminds me of that movie, the The Wild Geese. I don't know if you remember that, but it starred Richard Burton and uh, a host of other aging actors ah, yeah, who played mercenaries could. that go and liberate some African country. And uh, it was much like the Stallone movies now, the Expendables, where all these old guys get together and pretend that they're superheroes again.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. The Expendable movies are just funny to me because, they're like, they'd they're have to cut away from the action
1: for for stunt doubles. So well, you much. get stunt guys that yeah. do their running for them and that do their walking for them, and you know they're fine as long as they got to stand still and talk. But as soon as there's action, you know that's not them doing it.
3: Well, speaking of movies I wanted to ask you about uh, Christmas Horror Story because uh, uh, I just watched that and I
1: absolutely loved it that is a great horror movie
3: it really was uh, I, I, I did not expect to see uh, uh, Santa fighting zombie elves that was cool <laughs> that was really cool one of the coolest things
2: that's ever happened in film I could not stop laughing I could watch a two hour movie just about that part in fact that's what I wanted more of Great acting all around, though. Great acting. All did around.
3: you get to meet Shatner when you were on that?
1: Oh yeah, I did. What? Yeah. I went down to Los Angeles to shoot that one. He did all of his stuff in one day. No way. Yeah. Well, it's Shatner, yeah, yeah, I can, it can believe sense. it. I can <laughs> believe oh, it. Oh, he's great. He's he's really great. He was very gracious, and uh, I'll tell you, this guy had all that dialogue down, and uh, he did everything in one day.
3: That is insane. It's, it's so good to see, a, like, a, a good like good horror anthologies are, you know, hard to come by, but a Christmas one on top of that I thought was really
1: cool. What they did with the opening music was just fabulous. Chills went up my spine when I heard it.
3: Oh, it's got a really
2: good score.
1: Yeah. Oh, the score's
2: really cool. Yeah. What's well, all
1: Christmas carols?
2: Yeah.
0: So you have, uh, you have been in SCTV. You've been on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Twilight Zone, Kung Fu, just one iconic show after the next Uh Do you have a favorite role, favorite show you've been on? Is that something you can identify?
1: Well, I really like the motorcycle, the dead biker, in uh, Friday the 13th. Cool. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun to do. (laughs) I mean, we got to terrorize a town in the middle of the night and ride up and down with these blasting Harleys. Oh, wow. Yeah,
3: that's rad fun. Yeah, I would sign up for that job in a heartbeat. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's really cool. That was was
1: fun to do. One of those iconic shows, uh... Like, they were all shot in Canada. So, what, as an actor, you just bounced from one show to with the other uh, as a guest, and eventually you, you made the rounds. And back then, you know, I was, uh, I was in my 30s, so there was a lot more opportunity than when you're in your 60s. Things definitely die down as you get older, because they don't write stuff for the older actors. This ah. is why Stallone and them write their own stuff.
3: Oh, that, makes oh, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'd yeah. never, because
1: even... nobody thinks to write uh, parts for older actors. And now that there's no Love Boat, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I have heard the, the love, boat's love Boat's coming boat. back. I've heard the Love Boat's coming back.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't is be it? surprised. Well, there's hope. Then we can give, we can work again. <laughs> that in <and> Hollywood Squares. <laughs> oh man.
3: I, I remember being a kid every time somebody would be on Hollywood squares my dad would just stare at the screen and go, "He's done." <laughs>
2: I'm, uh, I'm in the acting community and uh, a lot of my friends that I know, uh, they love Toronto and Vancouver so much more than the like the Atlanta area and the New York area and the LA area. Uh, how do the sensibilities treat you up there? Is that where you prefer to be?)
1: Well, this is, uh, yeah, definitely. When I came up here, uh, I was brought up to do one play, and uh, the jobs just kept getting offered one after the other, so I eventually came up as a uh, permanent resident. I had to go back to the States and apply. But at that time, in the early 70s, Toronto was in its infancy in theater and TV and film film didn't actually blossom here until the late 70s early 80s so it's kind of like being in the ground floor of a, a really blossoming industry Well,
0: oh, that's awesome
1: and the theater was uh, there was so much avant-garde theater here which is exactly what you would want if you were going off broadway or off 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 broadway the small independent theaters that were doing new plays and that was what was the most exciting because at that time that's all I did was theater and to go from uh, one play to the next and then eventually into the regional theaters doing some of the old classics it was a really, really exciting time and then when TV and film came to life things really got exciting because you, you just literally could go from one show to the other movies were coming up through here all the time got to work with a lot of exciting people uh, I got to work with George C. Scott in uh, Descending Angel, and Eric Roberts. So there was always an opportunity. There was, I worked with Richard Harris twice up here. Oh, man, oh, that's awesome. You know, so there was all these icons that as a kid I was watching uh, in movies, and all of a sudden, there they are, and you're sharing the lens with them, you know, and you're you're actually doing dialogue with George C. Scott you know, that those are heart-stopping moments.
0: Absolutely, oh, yeah, of course. Memories. <laughs> it's George C. Scott.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ck, C. Ck is stuck on that. <laughs> He's just sorry. It's just like, oh, yeah, I, there was a. We were doing a scene, and there, there was all these uh, things about timing of entering and exiting, and people passing at the right time. And we'd done about four or five takes already, and the director's setting up to do another one, and George C. Scott just goes. I'm getting tired of this. Okay, <laughs> moving on. I <laughs> oh, bet he was awesome.
3: Is there still a lot of plays going on around there uh, now?
1: Because I know like... Oh, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, there's still a lot of theaters. There's uh, actually quite a bit more that, are, uh, that have survived that are now regular repertory theaters, and uh, they're still doing new plays and uh, avant-garde pieces.
3: Are you still we doing the plays with them? have the,
1: the Mervish franchise which is bringing up all the big Broadway plays and international musicals. Oh. So there's tons of theater going on here.
3: Oh, you that's that's lucky. I know where where we're, we're we're located in uh, Tennessee there's nothing. <laughs> there's like the university will have like two a year and uh, outside well, of that I'm from it's,
1: Cleveland and there's only a couple of theaters there. And you know they shot a couple of movies in Cleveland, but it's not a movie hub. Mm. You need a, a, a big infrastructure because they don't want to be sending all this stuff all over the place. They want a developing place right on the spot, an editing place on the spot. They, so you got to have an infrastructure. This is why movies are located in uh, places that have got uh, facilities and studios.
3: Well, that's a good point.
1: I mean, that's I've been to point. Tennessee quite a few times, and uh, it's a lovely state, but unless they start building studios and inviting... Uh, an ex- making it uh, welcoming for people to come and and do the arts there which is usually generated by government subsidies or tax breaks we were just in uh what was it where were we uh chattanooga
3: oh cool you were you were right at our neighbor's place
1: <laughs> yeah we, we did chattanooga back in uh may or so or june we're doing another show uh down in uh, San Antonio and I get to see the Alamo because we did Ah. one outside of San Antonio just before that the Tennessee one and we never got into the city to see uh, any of the sites but this next one coming up in November is going to be right downtown and the convention center is right next door to the Alamo so I'm going to get to see it oh (laughs) that's cool nice because I love going around the city from places we visit and uh, taking the tours I just came back from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, got up early in the morning and took a guided tour of the city before the con opened. Boy, what a what a neat place! And this is the great thing about this is you get to travel and
3: uh, I'm, I enjoy that. I'm just <laughs> shocked that you've only been doing cons for this short of a time. Me too. That's a good is, point. Yeah, I figured this would have been a thing for a while, but it's, it's it's no, I it's, never.
1: Uh, I was never approached about it. <laughs> and I never even gave it a second thought. I mean, I was pretty busy with uh, doing what I was doing, the movies and everything.
3: We're in shock over here in the studio right now. Like, all three of us are collective jaws are just down. Like, why did they not call him? And like, the, the other part of me is like, I'm so glad they called him now. <laughs> You're going to be Well, so Cal, busy. who
1: played Wolverine, only started doing him a year ago.
3: What? Yeah.
1: And he's the one that talked me into it. He says... He says, you got to get into this. This is great. He says, You meet all these people, and he says, You feel nothing but love. you got to start, and he's the one that put me up for the very first one. Because I got it, was it was the Tennessee one. Because I'd already <laughs> agreed to do San Antonio. This was through Eric Leewald, who wrote the book about the X Men. And this was going to be our big X Men reunion. We got four of the cast members together and the animator, Larry Houston. So we, there was about six of us there from X-Men. I get an email from Chattanooga saying, oh, I'm so happy that you're going to be our guest. <laughs> and I'd never heard of them before. I never talked to them. I said, well, what happened? How did this happen? So I called up Cal and I said, Cal, I just got this email. And somebody put me up for uh, Chattanooga. He says, oh, that was me. You're coming. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs>
3: Did you keep up with many of the people from the show after this? Because you said you know if it's a small area where you're all working, like you guys still get to yeah, work the together. Yeah, the ones that stayed in
1: Toronto, like Cal and I, see each other at auditions all the time, and we work together every now and then on voice stuff. Uh, Lenore Zan, who played Rogue, is now a member of provincial parliament in uh, Nova Scotia, so we don't get to see her.
3: Oh, she's my. Favorite. And she's now <laughs>
1: running for uh, federal member of parliament. And uh, I see Tony Daniels every now and then at auditions. The guy that played uh, Gambit, uh, uh, other he's down I'm in Los Angeles.
0: Me.
3: That's, a, that, that's another one of those voices that every time I read a comic book Ed and yep. see Gambit,
0: oh, yeah. it's his voice
1: it's every time. His
3: voice. Pretty much, Bart <laughs> <Well, our audition laughs> is going to
1: be down in Los Angeles, and we're going to see everybody there again. That's exciting. Uh, what about the Yeah, and I'm going to see an old friend that I haven't seen in 40 years. Wow. Ron that's Perlman. Cool.
3: Whoa! Ron Perlman!
1: Ron and I did uh, Quest for Fire together in 1980. Wow. And he was one of the four leads, and I was a member of the uh, cannibal tribe. (laughs) I don't know if you saw the movie, but we were the ones that had the people hanging from the trees and were eating them piece by piece. (laughs) That sounds like a fun day at work. (laughs) Yeah, well... Yeah, that was filmed in Kenya, and uh, the meat sat out in the sun for all day, and then I I had to chew it, and uh, it was pretty disgusting. (laughs) I had to eat the charm that was ham, uncured ham that had been sitting out in fly-infested African air.
2: Oh, God.
3: I think I'm going to wait on dinner after the show for a little bit after that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: there was not a lot of appetite for dinner that day.
2: I, uh, I got to sing Born to be Wild. With Ron Perlman at a con, uh, Dragon Con, not Dragon Con, MagFest 2010, and uh, and the karaoke, in the karaoke MagFest thing, um, I got drawn to do that. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Um, he is,
1: and it'll be so great to see him because he's going to be the featured guest at the LA Con. Um,
2: does Norm show up uh, very often, Cyclops?
1: No, I see him every now and then around the neighborhood. <laughs> Because <laughs> we live in the same area, of town.
2: Are you not like, come on, man, let's go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's up to him whether he can go or not. I tell you
2: what, man. I mean, that's another one of those voices—the uh, voice, the look, the everything. I love Cyclops, and Cyclops has been done not to the caliber that I wanted him to be done in film so far, compared to the leadership and his Captain America ness in the animated series and in Jim Lee's nineties X Men. Um And uh, Norm's incredible. Like That voice is just, it's commanding, it's a leader, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Speaking of cons, um, since you just started doing them, does anybody come up to you and uh, quote one beast thing that's uh, like over and over again? Do you hear something all the time?
1: No, people ask me what my favorite quote was, and it's kind of hard to remember, but there was one where uh, we're about to storm Something and uh, this lady uh, tells me to go do something, and he says, "Calls me Blue Boy, Blue Boy, go over there and do this." And he uh, turns to the lady. He says, "My name is Mr. McCoy, madam, not Blue Boy."
2: <laughs> I, I literally watched that episode last night. <laughs> Thank you for saying that.
1: <laughs> I love. So it. that's the I quote that it. I use because I can't remember all those poetry things that people oh, have. God. <laughs> It's, I'd have to write them down and carry them around with me so that one sticks in my mind
2: yeah I like that one a lot I, I remember ones from uh, Tennyson em- Emerson um, The Bard of course uh, yeah
1: well my favorite episode is Beauty and the Beast where yes. Beast gets to fall in love oh. yes, yes it's the- oh. one of my favorite episodes
2: of X-Men the animated series <laughs> so good I watched that one last night too. yeah
1: <laughs>
0: Well uh, we don't want to take up uh, too much of your evening here but I've got one last question I want to know for you what is George Buza's mutant power
1: Mutant power I don't have any mutant powers I wish I did oh. <laughs> yes, you did If you did which one would you want to have I was asked that question before and it was uh, I said I wanted uh, Wolverine's healing powers.
0: Yep, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to
2: hard to fight with. That would be superhero. useful.
1: <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want anything, you know, violent or I don't want his claws. <laughs> but the fact is, he can he can get shot and then just <laughs> heal up again.
2: Oh, I'm I'm also wearing a shirt of uh, Kyle's version of Wolverine. Yes, you right are. Now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've definitely got the mutant power of longevity in the industry, and we're really yeah. glad yep. that you took time out of your day to uh, let us sit here and uh, ask ask you a bunch of weird questions <laughs>
1: <laughs> well these were good questions and I, i'm really happy you called it was a really great interview thank you very much
3: uh, you were absolutely delightful thank you so much and i hope that our listeners are going to go see you at the cons, go check you out meet you in person and i hope that we get to as well soon too
1: well i i'm pretty sure that we're going to come back at some point to tennessee so just keep your ears open and uh, eyes open and see which ones because I think they're going to want us back at some of them. Oh, that'll be great. Do you have any
3: upcoming projects you want to plug before we get out of here?
1: Uh, I did a day on a movie or a TV series for Netflix called Ginny uh, in Georgia. That's in the works right now. They're shooting it. Uh, can't really talk about it.
2: Mm. NDA. Because I don't NDA. know much about it.
3: <laughs> the best NDA is best lack NDA. of information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
1: it. Everybody's got their NDAs. Oh, well,
0: uh, Disney, uh, Disney's actually uh, about to launch that big Disney Plus network, and they're remastering that 90s X-Men cartoon in high definition, so you're about to be presented to a whole new generation of fans to see again.
1: Well, that's pretty exciting. I did it in another series for Disney that was uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, oh. That's right. I played the next-door neighbor who always got blown up. That's right. Oh, my
2: God. Sorry, I'm freaking out. That was part of that time of me watching those cartoons, and the, that show was fantastic, and you were the funniest part. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. i tell you, I got slimed so many times, I spent most of my time standing in front of an air cannon. I said, okay, what am I going to get hit with today? <laughs> oh, it was I, I, everything from whipped cream to spaghetti, to uh, exploding vegetables.
3: <laughs> you have worked all over the world. And in front of an air, yeah, I air. have It's <laughs> amazing. Also the Great White
2: North. Well, That's one of the benefits
1: of this business is you get to see a lot of places. Oh, That's that's outstanding.
2: Also, just last congr- congrats. I didn't get to, get to it earlier and I uh, just want to say um, I know you're on SCTV and SCTV is one of those things that changed my life too. So just letting you know, I geeked out on that. I'm into my uh, my Canadian television. So, <laughs> That's
1: my you know who owns that? Mm-mm. Family Channel. Oh my
2: gosh! Get a streaming service, Family Channel.
1: <laughs> What's wrong with
3: you? I think they're like the one, the, the only holdout without right. a streaming service <laughs> now. Three dollars a month.
1: <laughs> I remember they invited me to the uh, convention in uh, Houston, or no, Dallas, the TV convention, and there I was representing the Family Channel and Maniac Mansion. They kept pulling me away from the Playboy Channel booth.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Would have me away. Oh, new playmate! Play. Got to get her autograph.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll let you uh, get back to what sounds like a most wonderful life up there in Canada. We really appreciate you spending some time with us tonight and learning a lot about uh, about your life and sharing that with our listeners.
3: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thanks very much. Bye bye. <laughs>